0: This is K-Pop Sunday brought to you by K-Pop Sumbay before you have to go back to work on Monday. We are your hosts, Onyx, Min,
1: and JR. Welcome to episode 11! Today we're gonna be talking about foreigners in K-pop. This means people who aren't half Korean or born in Korea. We might at a later point make an episode all about half Korean idols, like Lee Michelle or Seventeenth Vernon. And just another thing we want to mention is that this episode is meant to be a celebration of diversity, to show love for these idols, and while there are many foreign idols in the industry, we wanted to focus on the ones that have made notable contributions and the events that were industry changing. We may also not bring up certain controversies that Come to mind while listening to the episode simply because you do not feel the need to bring them back up So let's all start with who was the first foreign k-pop idol.
0: So there were probably more Singers that were non-Koreans that we're just not going to cover today We're just talking about the term idol and how we define idols today So you're talking way after So boys So the first group that we could find that had non-Korean members was a group called Circle And you're probably wondering, hmm, I've never heard of this old group before Why haven't I heard of them? Fun fact when we were researching for this episode, we couldn't find anything about them either. I actually had to go ask uh somebody who does a lot of K-pop history of the 90s for help with this one, named J Ducks, and she pointed me in this direction. Like that's how hard they were to find. Cause we even like went over neighbor, nothing about them came up. There were no articles that like said, this is the first international K-pop group. Nothing. Nothing about them comes up. So, basically, though, with Circle, they debuted on December 27th, 1998, and their members were Japanese, Korean, and Chinese. They were trying to go for, like, a global theme, but unfortunately, they only lasted about two years.
1: Their songs was pretty cute.
0: They had good music, but they didn't really have anything that would, like, stick with you. They got lost in time. Before we found out about Circle, though, we wanted to give the crown to Kim Isak of Isak and Jeon because she was one half of the R&B duo from SN Entertainment that was relatively short-lived. The duo was ran from around 2002 to 2004, and her real name is Ida Jean Simmons, and she's a German-American. So now let's move on to idol groups that marketed themselves as international, And failed, because marketing can only go so far. I'm gonna do
1: a tiny, like, separation here, because what we're talking about as idol groups are groups that are either from Korean entertainments or distributed by Korean labels, mainly because we had to cut it off at some point of what is a proper K-pop idol group and what is not a... Proper K-pop idol group. A lot of air quotes you can't see was uh, used. (laughs) But yeah, in this little segment, we're not going off on groups that were made completely outside of Korea and called themselves a K-pop group. I hope that made sense. And the majority of these groups are also heavily promoted to have foreign members. That was their main selling point, was the fact that they had one or maybe two or maybe three foreign members. Which mostly didn't end... Well, for any of the groups, honestly. (laughs) The first one we managed to find was Esquire, spelled (laughs) E-S-Q. They were said to be the first international K-pop boy group, and they were formed by Avance Entertainment. Not ADVANCE? But (laughs) Avance. No D. And this entertainment label mainly focused on getting foreign talents into K-pop. And they only had one group in 2011, and that was Esquire. All of the members were from Canada, though some were fully Korean or half Korean. They had one member called Marco, who was fully Italian. So, back in 2011, they started training, NBC made videos about them, they were in the Korean news, but the same year, Marco had to leave the group due to visa issues, and the group never actually really had a proper debut. In 2013, they released their debut album, Esquire Lysos? It would be Leish-y-us. Licious.
0: Mm. Licious? Yeah. Lee she is. yeah.
1: It's still not a good name, um, <laughs> <Amen>. <laughs> and this mini-album didn't even feature a music video, they never had a debut showcase. Though the song itself was distributed and sold in Korea by Kong Music. Sometime after this release, they all just disappeared. There was no official disbandment or anything, they just fell into the void. Then in 2014, The Gloss was marketed as the first group with a non-Asian member. The group was formed back in 2012 and was originally a four-member girl group which in 2013 went down to a three-member girl group. The group was made up of a Korean member, a Korean-American member, and a french member called Olivia. They held their debut showcase in Paris actually and released a digital single for the song that they had their debut showcase with. But there was no official mv for the song and they didn't perform on music shows either. Though their youtube channel was pretty active with them covering both american and korean songs. And sometime in early 2014 all of their social medias went pretty quiet. So they also did not officially disband, just disappeared into the void. (laughs) This is a trend. The very last group I'm gonna talk about is a much more recent group. It is called Oh My Jewel, which was marketed as the first K-pop group with a Caucasian member. You might have noticed that none of these marketing tactics are good or even correct. Anyway, Oh My Jewel was also a four-member girl group, and they were under acoustic company. Two of the members were Korean, one of the members were from China, And then you had a Russian member. The girl from China went under the name Crystal or Yonghi, and she was also very briefly a member of Rania. Though the main focus of the group was Sofia, the Russian member and she was the group's main rapper and dancer. And she also got all of the media attention because everybody was like Oh my god, a Russian girl in K-pop! She's very white! That was basically all there was. And in 2017, they made their debut with a single Tambourine. And this song actually had a music video. And they did perform it live. Only on Arirang's music show, it seems. But they did perform it. Only about a month after their debut song dropped, Crystal, or Younghee, left the group due to health reasons. And only four more months after that, in April of 2018, the whole group disbanded. So the group itself only lasted about five months of having actual active time. I'm not sure how long they trained. But yeah, they were very short-lived and they also disappeared (laughs) into the void. So let's segue over to groups from larger companies that you might actually know about.
2: (laughs) So this is my section and before I go into it I do want to make a quick point that these companies, they're actively seeking out foreign people slash Koreans born in other countries to cast. And if you scroll through any of the agency's social media platforms, you will see that they have casting calls literally all over the world.
0: Yeah, since the 90s. That's how we got some of the members from HOT, Xinhua, and One Time was from that.
2: There you go. So I have a few groups here that I'm going to talk about, and hopefully I won't take too long. But the first one I'm going to talk about is Super Junior, and that is because for a while, we... We were thinking that Gung, the Chinese member that debuted with them, was the first ever foreign idol. And as we could see from Circle, that is not true. He's not even the first Chinese idol, but he is the first male Chinese idol. So he has a bit of a title
0: there, I guess. He's considered by many Chinese to be the first K-pop idol.
2: It's true. It's true. But So a quick history about Super Junior. They debuted in 2005 as Super Junior 05 with the song Twins Knockout. They actually initially had a graduation type system, but eventually dropped that idea, which was about a year later, and Q Hyun was added to the lineup, making it thirteen members and of those 13, like I mentioned, there was a member named Hanga. and I actually got some of this information from a South China Morning Post article, and that will be linked with all our sources in the show notes, and it details his time as a K-pop idol and kind of explains the issues that were there, including restrictions due to his visa, and he was unable to promote like the other members due to that. About three years after their debut, Super Junior M was formed, which is Super Junior's Chinese sub unit, of which Hangung was the leader. And on top of that, there is something to talk about with Henry. And I'm pretty sure most people know who Henry is. He's quite active in the reality show world. But Onyx, can you tell us what happened Mm -hmm. with Henry? What
0: happened with Henry? Well, when he initially debuted with Super Junior, it was from their title track of their second album, Donton Don, which I believe was in 2007. A lot of Korean fans did not want him in the group. They actively protested against him and successfully got him to not be in the group, but then got put into Super Junior M with Joe Mi. Even years later, when Henry would perform at shows with Super Junior, he would still be booed and protested at by Korean fans. So that's kind of sad. And part of the reason why Henry was so, oh, I'm going to go on the variety show. Because he's a very sweet dude, we think. But yeah, he was just hated. And some, a lot of the members who ended up in Super Junior M were the ones who took care of him very well. Like Hong Gung was like his big brother. Liu Wuk also was known for being very kind to him when he first came to their apartment. So Super Junior M was kind of a big deal in China because it's like, it was thought of as, oh, this is a K-pop group, but it's being led by a Chinese member and they're singing in Chinese with actually good Chinese.
1: But Super Junior M was also made for Chinese. China. Exactly. Right. And right. it had
0: China in mind and.
1: Basically, the old version of
0: XOM. Yeah, it right. was the first Basically. attempt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it paved, it genuinely paved the way for XOM.
2: Which we will talk about in a little bit. But going back to Hangung, just one year later, being 2009, on December 21st of that year, he filed a lawsuit against SM Entertainment seeking to terminate his 13-year slave contract.
0: Technically, that's the legal term.
2: Yes, it has become, I think it's because of him. That's the term. It is because it was out. it
0: was keep in mind that he filed it around the same time JYJ did. So all this news about SM and how that was just a standard thing just slammed into media around the same time.
2: The SM deep
0: dive is going to be fun, guys. <laughs> <laughs> J.Y.G.'s was shocking, but his was shocking in a different way because there were certain stipulations that because he was a foreigner and that SM has kind of shown that pattern sense of how they treat foreign idols.
2: Mm-hmm. He actually had been secretly accumulating evidence and going to the law office prior to filing the actual lawsuit. According to a Soompi article from the time, the litigation stated that he had not been given a single day of rest since debut. Keep in mind, that is almost four years Also in that, there were reports that the distribution of pay was unfair among the members. And the whole thing is very intense, so I highly suggest looking at the legal documents. There are some translated ones I know you can find. And it's honestly just really sad to look at and his story overall is kind of heartbreaking but yeah since then slave contracts are no longer used in the same way and although these contracts are shorter they still are not necessarily in favor of the trainees slash debuted idols which is a whole nother story but yeah, in July of 2010, he released his first solo album, and then a year later, in 2011, he officially left SM and Super Junior. Since then, he's been super active in China, releasing music and acting, and gaining international recognition from being a torchbearer for the 2008 Beijing Olympics to making a cameo in a Transformers movie. On top of all this, just a few months ago, he married his wife, actress Selena Jade. So in the end, he's doing pretty well for himself. Speaking of China and SM, we cannot go into to this discussion without talking about exo and i'm going to try to keep this a bit shorter because we're eventually going to probably do a deep dive on exo but yeah, long story short, Lei is the only surviving foreign member of the group, but I'll explain that a little bit more. In 2012, SM debuted a 12-member group named EXO, and in that 12-member group, there were four Chinese members. Their whole gimmick, I guess you could say, was that they were divided into two, six members in XOK, and that was the Korean group, and six members in XOM that promoted in Chinese or Mandarin as the MD notes. Two years into their debut, Chris Wu and Lu Han, both left the group, Chris in May of 2014 and Luhan in October. Both of them cited unfairness between them and the Korean members, among a slew of other issues. Then on August 24th, 2015, Tao became the third member to file a lawsuit against SM. Part of the reasons for his departure was that he was injured, but SM allegedly refused to let him rest properly, causing further injury. In 2016, Chris and Lujan settled with SM Entertainment, part of that settlement being that they will still be under their contracts, which will end in 2020, with their management coming from outside of SM and Korea. So, they still are under contract with SM, but they are not managed by SM. Tao's lawsuits have been very back and forth, on the other hand, and I found the most recent article about it in 2018 that stated that the court ruled in favor of SM, meaning that his contract is valid. I assume for the same amount of time as Chris and Lujan, meaning 2022, but I am not certain on that so don't quote me. <laughs> That being said, the members have done pretty well in China with their solo activities. All of them have acted and released music. And just a quick fun fact, Chris Wu and Hangang acted together in a movie called Sweet 16 in 2016. And boy, is that a movie. But it's also really weird to see them together, but kind of cool at the same time. I don't know. Also, I saw something saying that Chris Wu used Gung's lawyer. Maybe that's true. I'm not sure. But I, also, I thought that was pretty interesting as well. Next group, NCT, literally three SM groups in a row, but there have been no departures from NCT so far. So that's great. Yet. Don't jinx it. (laughs) NCT picks up on the rotational concept that Super Junior was going to use. And essentially they are under NCT as a whole. And in that name, there are subunits that are essentially infinite. There can be as many as SM decides. And the whole idea was that the groups can be based anywhere from Chicago to Vietnam. As of right now, there are only four official units. And of the four, the only truly quote unquote foreign group is WAVY, and they are based in China. And the members are either Thai or Chinese or a mix. Of the current 21 members, there are 10 foreign members. Also of that 21, there are two Korean members, but they were both born outside of Korea, so they're still ethnically Korean, but their nationalities are not Korean necessarily, unless they have changed their nationalities, but I believe they have not. Many of the members were introduced through SM's pre-debut team called SM Rookies. In a 2016 press conference, Lee Soo man took to the stage to introduce five projects and a new boy group, this being NCT. The conference will be linked with subtitles and a timestamp for when he officially starts talking about the boys. And it's super thematic and you can see the members when they were very young. So if you're an NCT fan go for that. Essentially the group is meant to be heavily marketed to international fans with no limit to the amount of members or groups and for a time their introduction was to the world here is NCT and if I'm correct they no longer use this when they introduce themselves which is very sad to me because they were the first group that I've ever followed since debut and in all the units from U to 127 to Dream to Wavy there are foreign members specifically NCT 127 they've been very popular in the international sphere mostly in the u.s where they have appeared on countless late night shows radio stations and many more things and then like i said wavy debuted in 2019 but i remember there was confusion as to whether they were truly part of nct or not and i read a few articles and it said this is partially due to their branding within china so we'll have to see if they truly integrate into the nct brand next we're going to be talking about bp rania and onyx take it away
0: how do I even start this train wreck? So, BP Rania was not the first iteration of the group. The first one was Rania and, oh boy, that's a roller coaster ride. Rania, as the original group, had pretty much a revolving door of members coming in and coming out and some of them were even non-Korean, but the one that really stood out to people was when they introduced BP Rania, when Alex, who came in 2015. Now, she was marketed as the first African-American K-pop idol who was not ethnically Korean in any way, not related to Korea, someone who just came from America to Korea, and she was the rapper and the leader of the group, and she was always the one at the forefront of marketing. She was always kind of seen as being Separate. She was shown, they had vlogs of her trying to learn Korean, but she seemed kind of separated from the group a lot. And then it wasn't until later when she did interviews with people such as Grace in 2019 that it really came out that she was already a singer songwriter in the U.S. She was already making music and it was because that she was talented and she was meeting up with other musicians and talking to them that then she was suggested to go be in a K-pop group. And then she also discussed how she really didn't know what was going on with the group, such as when all the members were replaced and she was not told that. She was wondering why no one was messaging her back. And as you could tell, the group really fell apart. Dr. Music, they have a long, long history of leaning very heavily on marketing a group, but then they don't back it up.
1: I just want to add that some of the things that did happen to Alex, like, in the group itself, she was added seemingly out of nowhere, and then her first song that she was on she was only on stage during her part and then had to leave the stage when it wasn't her time to sing and then suddenly she became the group's leader and then she left the group basically there's a lot of mess in between there
0: that was all the news that we had let's move on to a group that has a ratio of foreign members to korean members that is a lot more equal than most other K-pop groups so take it away
2: okay and that group is TWICE. The JYP girl group debuted in 2015, and of the members that debuted, there is Sana, Momo, Mina, and Jui, making almost half of their nine members foreigners the group officially debuted in japan home to momo mina and santa on june 28th 2017 and have since topped oricon charts multiple times and broken records for the highest album sales for a k-pop group and they were also the first k-pop group to go platinum in japan and have held multiple concerts there and since twice is not riddled by scandal or anything like that, there's not really a whole lot to say about them. Yeah, obviously they're wildly successful and we're happy that they don't have any scandals. The next girl group I'm going to mention is CLC. They debuted on March 19th, 2015 under Cube Entertainment and of the members in the group, there are two foreign members, Sorn and Elki. And the reason I'm mentioning this group is because in 2017, Thai member Sorn did an interview in which she explained that she and Elki were getting paid much less than the Korean members of of the group. And personally, I remember the outrage that came from this interview because, I mean, when you hear about such and injustice is that you're just shocked and you're sad for those members. And I don't remember ever getting an explanation for why that is. And as this is something that has been mentioned multiple times in regard to foreign members, I did want to mention it since Soren brought a lot of awareness to the issue. There will be links explaining this better than I am going to right now, but it seems that there is an organization that holds foreign members money. Whether that means all foreign members or just Chinese and Thai celebrities, I'm not sure. And they hold this money for a time because the processing of money is different between South Korea and other countries. And also since that interview, Soren has come out and said that she has received all the money that was due to her. So we are very thankful for that. And the last and most recent group of all of these is... Eyes One. They are a group that comes from the third season of Produce 101, entitled Produce 48. The name comes together from the fact that this was a mixture of trainees from Korean companies and the J-pop group members from AKB48. Unlike the other seasons, there were 12 final members as opposed to 11. Something weird that I found while researching this was that the only people that could vote were Koreans, which was usual for the other seasons, but seeing as this also had Japanese members promoting, you would think that Japan would be able to vote as well, and obviously that was not the case. Of the 12 members, there are three Japanese and one Taiwanese-Chinese member. Upon making it into the group, the three Japanese members halted their activities with AKB-48 in order to promote with eyes one and then a year after their debut in korea they debuted in japan on february 6 2019 with their single suki to iwa setai which went platinum one thing that i'm going to mention very briefly because even now there are still things coming out about it after the news of the manipulation of the produce series came out there was concern over whether eyes one and the group's most recent series winners x1 would disband and unfortunately x1 did disband but eyes one thankfully was. Saved from that fate. And we do want to make one final disclaimer here that, of course, these are not the only groups in K pop with foreign members. These were just some of the notable ones that we wanted to talk about. And if you guys have any questions, groups that you want us to talk about specifically you can always tweet at us
1: so let's talk about the response to k-pop or more i don't know knockoff k-pop <laughs> people that wants to be k-pop but uh didn't really meet the mark or didn't have anything to do with korea or korean labels or korean distribution or anything ah Wannabes. I don't mean wannabes in a bad way, like most of these artists are not half bad, and they tried, and they're good. Some of them. Just just some of them. So let's start off with one of the earlier foreigners that wanted to be a K-pop idol. Chad Future, so a short little rundown of who Chad Future is. So in 2013, a former member of the boy band heart to heart this is not a Korean boy band, this is an American standard NSYNC wannabe boy band, (laughs) who only released a single song but one of their members decided to go solo he had already had a YouTube channel and been releasing cover songs of both American and Korean songs and in 2013 he released his first k-pop song he made his debut showcase on the main stage of Kcon in 2012 or 2013 I'm not entirely sure because I think the 2013 one was his like official debut and the 2012 one was it's just a performance, I don't know. He has since released songs with Aaron of Newest West, Uji from Bestie, also a song with Ravi? I don't know how to pronounce that. You got it. I don't know, it's so weird. We, we have an origin artist with the same name. So that's why I'm like, oh, this is confusing. And he has also released a song that was produced by Dean. He did go quiet around 2015, but just a little while ago it was announced that he would make a 2020 comeback. He is at least the earliest American we could find who specifically wanted to be a K-pop idol without having gone through the whole trainee system and stuff. Right. You know? Yeah. It's hard to define what an idol is. Mm -hmm. We've tried a couple of times during this episode to define (laughs) what a true K-pop idol is. Um nobody is. And
0: everybody is, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I love that statement. <laughs> and at least
2: when I first found out about him, he was done making his stuff by then. But yeah. from what I understood from what I was reading, he was pretty controversial. And one article I was looking at while researching this that I found very helpful in explaining why a lot of people did not like what he was doing, was that he seemed like he was cosplaying as a K-pop idol instead yeah. of doing it with all his heart type of thing, if that makes yeah. sense. It'll be interesting to see his comeback. Yeah, because
1: his songs weren't good. They weren't horrible, but they also weren't great. It would have helped if his songs were really, really good. Then that mm-hmm. would also have helped his case, but his earlier songs just... They right. weren't really there yet. <laughs>
2: And those songs were a mix of English and Korean, which is something we have to give him credit for. Yeah,
1: full-on props for him for actually doing it. (laughs) Go, dude. Live your dreams. (laughs)
2: The next one that we are going to be talking about, which is also controversial to some, is EXP Edition. And this kind of popped up around 2014. And it was a project started by Bora Kim, a master's student at Columbia University, not the actress or the League of Legends pro player. And her whole question was, do you have to be Korean to be an idol? In addition to her working on it, Corinne Karuda and Samantha Shaw worked on the experimental film project with her, and it was meant to be somewhere between a reality show and fiction that would result in an actual K-pop boy band in the end. So, on May 8th, 2015, a Kickstarter was launched called i'm making a boy band and a day later an announcement video was posted the kickstarter was active until june 7th 2015 and they actually had a website it was taken down but there are some archives of it that you can look they at. they
1: had many lineup changes because the yeah. exp edition that people like know of today weren't all the members that was in exp edition in the beginning because right. they did actually have like a, a small debut in a song before their actual K-pop debut. Which is interesting.
2: Mm-hmm. They actually yeah. had a debut showcase on Show Champion. That is episode 226. And that was on April 26, 2017. And they've also released a few songs. And they have choreography and stuff like that. And they even went on reality shows. And perform there, kind of. I know they were on reality shows. I just can't speak yeah. English right now. And the thing was, there wasn't only coverage of them in South Korea, but there was also coverage of them in the states, at least as far as I know. I remember seeing U.S.-based news companies releasing articles on them, and I feel I I need to let this out into the world because I feel like they got a lot of hate unfairly because. So many international fans looked at them and they saw a bunch of white boys and they were like, they can't be K-pop idols. But the thing is, these boys, they didn't go into this thinking they were going to have a career in Korea. You know, it was a school project and it gained traction in Korea and they were able to go and have a bunch of these really cool experiences honestly and on top of that they got a lot of hate and I just I never really saw the need for the hate towards them because they weren't sitting there like we have wanted to be k-pop idols our entire lives and it's finally coming true, and we're kind of like doing it half-heartedly and all this stuff. It was like they were part of a school project. And as far as I know, and I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure the backlash was mostly centered in international fans. Let's
1: jump from
2: EXP Edition
1: to a very less serious group, but a group that might have been ever so slightly very slightly inspiration by EXP edition. maybe. Or maybe not. Completely guessing here. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so let's talk about BGA. So BGA is short for Boys Generally Asian. And the group kind of debuted. I say debuted very lightly. It was in 2016 with the track Dong Sayade, And it was put together by Ryan Higa, who's a very famous and beloved YouTuber on his channel Niga Higa. So it was basically supposed to be a parody of K-pop groups. And it was very well done. Like, the production's amazing. And also, they really worked on pronouncing Korean a lot more correctly than some other attempts in the past. So that was very popular. And then in 2017, they followed it up with the single, Who's It Gonna Be? At one point, they even had light sticks, little light sticks, which was pretty cute. But it was generally positively thought of by foreign fans, which generally when they see people who are not Korean and not in Korea trying K-pop. They're very much against it, but this was very well received by everyone even Korea. There were people like is this an actual K-pop group? That's how good the parody was that it made people question if it was real and they are actually good tracks And you can buy them on iTunes So I do recommend that you watch. also the music videos are pretty funny So please go if you've not heard of them yet. Now. Let's jump over to another YouTube based group
2: group that we're going to be talking about is an african-american duo made up of k-pop youtubers jenny lyric and jenna rose they only released one song ote and it was never aired on any korean networks and so we're not really counting it as like a true k-pop song in that sense but it was sung completely in korean i believe or mostly in korean yeah it's a
1: really good song and the music video is cute so
2: Yeah, I saw the the teaser image for it and it's really pretty, so I'm sure it's lovely.
0: So now let's move on to our favorite foreign K-pop idol and also one of the newest on the scene. As of 2019, he's basically known as the Jimin plastic surgery dude because he's been on shows talking about it and how much he loves Jimin. But he has been on multiple Korean news outlets and he has actually released music but he has not promoted on any music shows to date so when he does we will bring that up and we will discuss that with he you guys. He is
1: probably the person currently with the worst reputation mostly because most people see him as a huge career boo. His singing also isn't that great but I will give him props for trying but that's Doesn't- about it. I think the reason why most people don't like him is because he paints a pretty bad picture of K-pop fans. Because I am certain he plays up his affection for Jimin pretty hard, but it's more for the clicks and all the attention he gets from he- acting the way that he does.
2: He did marry a cardboard cutout of yeah, him. like
1: you do that for clout.
0: You don't. Right. But to be fair, though, he also though. Went through surgery. The idea of voluntarily going through surgery to go look like someone else, like no, more, like I like a lot of celebrities, but I don't. I'm not that committed. I'm really not. So, and also like, especially for paying for them, no thanks. So you know, mm-hmm. I've got to give it to him. He, if he wants to be someone who's saying, oh, I really love this person, I'm gonna go do this, yada yada, he's at least footing it. He's not clickbaiting. He's serious. So to I'm be still
1: prepared. sure he is aware of how out there he is. I personally don't mind the plastic surgery because mind what people do with their face. even though it's a bit strange trying to become somebody else but
2: not only somebody else though he's trying to be another race which he says he's not but if you go out of your way to try to look like somebody from another race you are trying to look like that race and that's also an issue a lot of people have rightfully so most
1: polarizing figure right now and the more we talk about him the more attention we give him so
2: maybe we should end it (laughs) (laughs) And that's it. No. Well, he
1: thrives on attention. Like, good or bad attention, he thrives on it. And I think he's
2: having a comeback this year?
0: Good for him. Mm-hmm. Well, now that we've said it, now it's going to happen. Oh, that's the other I thing. Know, we need to talk about go. why we predict the future.
2: Chad future. <laughs> the thing is
1: that we started planning this episode long before the Chad future comeback was announced. And it was announced, like, two days ago? Three days ago? Before recording this, because we record in the past. It's been a very long time since we recorded this. (laughs) When you listen to it, we're sorry.
2: So we just talked a little bit about people who want to be idols that are also foreign. And that's not to say that we are against foreign idols because this entire episode is about foreign idols. But I think the main thing to glean from this is that we, as K-pop fans, we're okay with people who are not Korean in K-pop as long as they're there with good intentions and they actually try. And sometimes that is not the case. And... People will get called out for that. But overall, we love K-pop groups. And we love our foreign idols.
0: (laughs) Don't just treat people as a gimmick. Don't treat other
1: countries as a gimmick. Yeah.
0: Amen. <laughs> well, that's another thing that I noticed, though, is that the ones who that especially didn't do well were the ones where they only had the foreign members, oh, look, foreign. Whereas the ones that actually right. succeeded and continued on were the ones who were like, yeah, they're foreign, but hey, look, they're with the group. This is a team, not just the foreign idol and their backup dancers, you know, like it, it wasn't anything like that. Yeah, let's move on to the question of the day. Who was the first Korean-American K-pop idol? If you know who that is, please tweet us at Twitter or contact us on any of our social media sites, and we'll show so you So let's out. go over
1: to the song of the day. Today, March 1st, in 1995, REF, or Rave Effect, released their debut album, Silent Scream, with the title song, Scream in Silence. Their music is very much... 90s rape music. It's pretty fun, and you should definitely go check them out. Also today, March 1st, in 2010, Beast released their second EP, Shock of New Era, with the title track, Shock. So if you're a fan of the current group highlight, you should definitely go back and listen to their song, Shock, from the time when they were Beast.
0: It's one of their best, in my opinion.
2: Very good. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, then be sure to like, follow subscribe and tell your friends about us if you want to interact with us or find more of our content then you can follow us on twitter at kpop sunbays or on our tumblr pages which will be in the show notes along with the sources used for this episode our next episode comes out on march 15th 2020 so please be on the lookout for that thanks everyone Bye.
0: bye bye